series, which I'm excited to do so. Make me live on my clicker, please. Thank you, sir. Uh, coming up into the pulpit is always an amazing thing to me, uh, especially with the, with the talent that's here. And so I, I just want to give a, a shout out to those that have shared this month. If you've missed it all, any of the weeks, we're on week five on riverbendchurch.church slash media. You can catch up on any of the messages that we preached. But we've had a great time over the last five weeks. Uh, I'm excited to bring up kind of the closing of it. It's always good to be the closer. Uh, it's, it's tough to be the opening band sometimes, so I'm glad that I am following Pastor Bobby and Pastor Brad and Pastor Glenn. They're all really fantastic. So if you missed any of those, please make sure that you go to it. Today I'm going to be talking about the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And I want to just give a, a real b- brief a review to you, a preview review to you as we go down it and looking at the word parable uh, coming from the two words para and bello, meaning to come alongside or to compare or to throw up to see. So it's a really a comparison of an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So as we kind of walk through these things, realize that there is a comparison going on. And part of our job, part of our job as Christians is to take these parables and to think about them a little bit more than we initially did. So remember, as Jesus was talking, not only to the crowds, but to his disciples specifically, that he wanted them to go away and think about it a little bit further. That's why sometimes the parables are a little bit hard to discern because it's something that we're supposed to chew on and walk through. So looking at the five-week parables uh, series review, just so you know where we are, the first week was the sower and the seed. The second week was the wheat and tares. The third week was the lost sheep. The fourth week was forgiveness. And this week is the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. So just a quick survey, those in the room that have come to it, using your fingers, one, two, three, or four, which one was your favorite message? Let's see. First one, second one, third one. Glenn's right over there, so you should probably hold up, you should probably hold up four. All right, I got five, which is awesome. I haven't even preached yet, and someone's already voting for me. It's good, yes. I love it. <clears throat> so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in right in, all right? You bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your house. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your people. Lord, we're so moved by who you are today in the, in the worship, today just feeling your presence. Lord, to know that there's people in the world that just don't feel that peace regularly, that don't feel your presence with them regularly that don't know what it feels like to be free all the time, that don't know what it means to be delivered from fear and anxiety and stress and worry, all those things in the world that seem to just swirl around, God, we stop for a minute as a church, and we recognize that you're here. And all those things, those promises are available to us right now. They're not hidden from us. They're not kept from us. But they're here right now for us to receive, for us to bring into our life, and for us to let go of those things that are hindering them. So this morning, God, I come against every distraction, God, of the enemy, and I pray for minds that are ready to receive. I pray for woke spirits that are ready to receive your deep truths. And God, we thank you for today. We give you glory for today in Jesus' name. And everybody that wants to believe that said, I'm talking about Matthew chapter 13 today in the second half of chapter 13. I love Matthew chapter 13. If it's been a while since you've read the whole chapter, I'd encourage you to go through the whole thing. The first part of Matthew 13, uh, we find Jesus coming out and starting eight parables that he shared publicly. The first four he did to the masses, to the groups of people. Pastor Bobby shared on one of those, but he used Mark as the reference. But the first four were to the masses. 
there's a switch that happens in Jesus' ministry now where he actually, the next four, I'm talking about two of them today, he pulls back and he talks to the disciples. So this morning, I want you to do me a favor. I know it might be a little bit difficult. It might be hard to do because we're in a group like this. But if you could just, with a minute, realize how Jesus was communicating this parable. He was with his friends. He was with those that he was closest with on the earth. He stopped what he was doing, and he spoke to them intimately and directly. So this morning, I don't want you to think of us as a large crowd, because it would be very easy to get confused and think that Jesus is addressing the masses. But this morning, I'm looking at all of you in the eye, and I'm believing that you're a friend of Jesus, that you know the Lord intimately and completely, and that this parable was written for you. It was communicated to disciples just like you. So this morning, as I read this parable to you, Take it at that context, not as a context of masses, but as Jesus' individual disciples and his friends around him. So Matthew chapter 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout For choice pearls, when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So as we go through this this parable today, I want to just share a couple quick things with you. First, I want to start with a simple explanation. The treasure and the pearl indicate the incomparable value of the kingdom, which will cause a man to do everything possible to possess it. So as you're reading these parables and we reference them today, I want you to think about it with that viewpoint a little bit. That these, the value of these things, the treasure and the great pearl are so great, they're so massive, they're so huge, that the man discovering them will do whatever it takes to take it, to own it, to have it. And another possible interpretation that I'm going to touch on a little bit today is, a, is that the man was Christ who sacrificed his all to purchase his people. So I want to just start with this message by saying that as you look at the man in the field and you look at the merchant, it would be very easy to see Jesus Christ. In fact, that's a great way to look at that parable. I want you to imagine what it was like to hear Jesus' words as he was explaining this. You know, in theology, we talk about progressive revelation, which means we can look back in history, we can look back at the revelation of the Bible and understand it a little bit more completely because of where we are right now in history. We've, we've gone through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've received him as Lord and Savior. We've been free of all those things. But in this time, in this moment, his disciples were trying to figure out what was going on. They hadn't seen him crucified yet. They hadn't seen him raised from the dead. They hadn't been filled with endowment of power by the Holy Spirit. They hadn't felt those things. So as I'm talking to you today, realize that as Jesus is talking to his disciples, they're trying to process all these things. They're trying to understand what Jesus was saying to them. And he was trying to paint a picture with a story that they understood. See, it wasn't uncommon in those days when people had great wealth to bury it in their backyard. I know that sounds funny, and we, we talk about that today as it seems ludicrous, like we have banks and all those type of things. But it wasn't uncommon that people would bury great fortunes. And it also wasn't uncommon that when someone was digging around, they'd find it. A stranger could be passing by and actually find that treasure in the field. I don't want you to get mixed up on the integrity of the individual that actually hides the treasure and keeps it. That's not the point of this parable. The parable is this. If you could imagine the field, just like the other parables have taught us through the scriptures, that the parable is the world. 
And as you and I go through the world, there's so many things that we can start to pursue to find answers. There's many in this room, and I've had conversations with you, and I know you know my story a little bit, is there's a searching that often happens to an individual, a searching to try to find the true meaning of life, whether it's a career, whether it's a love relationship, whether it's filling the void with drugs and alcohol and other things, whether it's another world religion, there's a searching going on in the hearts of man in this world. Many stop that search with atheism, and they don't say a God exists, but there's still a purpose that they pursue. So imagine Jesus sharing this story in a way that his disciples, his friends can understand, a searching in this field of all that's been known up to that point, every, every theory, every understanding, every pursuit laid out in a field, and all of a sudden, while you're searching, while you're crawling around looking for that truth, you find a treasure that's incomparable, a, pre- a treasure that's so great that you have to have it. And he continues with the story of the pearl of great price. Because that time, merchants sought after pearl for wealth. They sought after commerce to gain wealth. And in your search for those things to better your life, to better your family's life, to make a legacy financially for your family, you find a pearl that's so great that you're willing to sell everything else that you've done or earned up to that point to have that pearl. That's what we're stepping in 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 chapter 13, verses 44 and the simple explanation of those two. The two parable lessons I want you to keep in the back of your head as we go through this today is the kingdom is a priceless treasure that is desired above all else. That kingdom knowledge of Jesus Christ, that thing that you can have inside you that can change you, that seed, that spark, that knowledge of Christ, that freeing of what Jesus can do for you is to be desired above all else. Every other treasure that you could imagine And the second parable lesson that I want to give you today is selling all means to transfer our whole heart from our interests to the one supreme interest, Christ. I'm not calling Riverbend Church to sell everything they own and become monks. I'm not telling you to quit your job tomorrow and to just wait on the Lord. I'm not saying that. When I'm referring to selling everything, I'm thinking your heart, your mind, what drives your spirit, the knowledge of what is behind the why of the things that you do understanding that we can sell all those things for such a greater treasure, and that treasure is in Jesus Christ. So in the time remaining, and it's going to be very brief, I promise you, we're going to be talking about three keys of grasping the kingdom of heaven in your life. You ready for that? All right, the first one, and I'm going to lay them out real easy for you, one, two, three, A, B, C, so you can challenge them, but I want to give you this once again, because I want you to really understand where we're going today, that Jesus is talking to his disciples, his friends. He wants them to understand what their responsibility is going forward in the kingdom of God. We talked about the first four uh, parables. Pastor Bobby touched base on the sower and the seed. We We talked about the wheat and the tares. These specific two parables were to his friends. So remember, Jesus, the challenge of Jesus to us as his disciples, as his friends, is to, number one, to acknowledge The kingdom of God requires your highest commitment and pursuit. I thought the best way that I could demonstrate in my own life why this moved me so much, why I wanted to share the first key, the first key to understanding the kingdom of heaven in your life is acknowledging God's pursuit. I've shared my testimony several times, but I want to share a little piece of it today that maybe you haven't heard. I found myself a lot like that man in the field, searching and wandering and and I know there's many in this room that can relate to that. 
trying to find answers through uh, different religions, different healers, witchcraft, and New Age, and Buddha, and all kinds of philosophies, and, and wandering and trying to find the truth. When I was 24 years old, I sold everything I owned in pursuit of this, and put a backpack on my back and traveled across the United States. I have a really cool book in my hand. I've only let one other person read it, and that's my wife, so don't ask me. <clears throat> this book is 25 years old, and it's really fascinating to me because the first third of the book is me as a, a wandering fool, not knowing Jesus, where I was, all my thoughts and my feelings. And the other two-thirds of the book is what happened to me when I met Jesus. And I was reading this uh, because it, there's a significant part of it. When I came to Jesus Christ in a radical way, I was in such darkness and I stepped into the light that I didn't know what else to do but just be with Jesus. So I was one of those really big Jesus freaks back in the 90s. That was me. I didn't look anything like I do today. I was about 120 pounds. I walked kind of over a little bit because I was uh, coming out of a life of abuse and malnourishment and all kinds of stuff. And I had a great big backpack on my back with a mandolin strap to it. And when I got born again, I decided that I had to go tell someone about Jesus. So I left upstate New York where I got radically saved, and I went down to Pennsylvania because it seemed like the thing to do at the time. <laughs> to see the Liberty Bell and, you know, to hang out with people that I hadn't met. And I'm trying to paint a picture for you because I need you to understand that in my radical Christianity, I didn't know any better. Didn't know the church, didn't really have Christian friends, didn't know what was up except for that Jesus did something in my life that I had to go tell some people about it. So I found myself wandering around the streets of Philadelphia, uh, seeing the sights the best I could, buying a cup of coffee here and there, and then running out of money, and still having three days before I was going to get uh, uh, relief. So I tried to find jobs and whatnot, and I ran out of more money still. Long story short, I found myself in a uh, drug and alcohol rehabilitation center finding shelter in a predominantly African-American community that these guys were very rough. And not because they were African-American, please don't misunderstand me, because of the area that they were in. These guys were longtime drug addicts, and they were there for rehabilitation, and it was the only place I could find shelter. So travel with me for a second, this, this really gaunt, small dude walking into this building, into uh, the lower level that was maybe twice the size of this room with mats all over the floor, and really don't just, if you can imagine the conversations that were happening in this room and how loud it was... And I felt moved by God to preach in that moment. And from the ne for the next three days of me staying there, I just ministered the whole time I was there. And I, I want to communicate to you because there's something really strange happening in my spirit over the last several months. For the last 25 years of my life, I've spent in five different churches developing systems and discipling believers. That's what my heart's been just yearning for. As I'm reading this journal and different things that God's doing to me right now, I realized in that moment that I had left the 99 to search and find the one. And as God begins to remind me of that radicalness that I expressed in my 20s, today I want to help inspire you if you're here today. Maybe you've never had that acknowledgement that pursuing God and that commitment and that pursuit of God is the greatest treasure that you could ever pursue or maybe you did when you were much younger and you've forgotten what that feels like. I get it. I just had a birthday yesterday. I'm a little bit older than I was then, about 25 years older. And I know that when I was a young man by myself, it was much easier 
to just completely drop everything and do those type of things. I have three daughters now and a grandson and a beautiful wife, and we have a fantastic life together. However, this acknowledgement is so important because remember, this isn't Jesus talking to the masses. You and I are sitting with Jesus today, reading his words, 2,000 years later, being challenged with the acknowledgement is our commitment and our pursuit of the kingdom of God, the greatest treasure that we're pursuing. Does it really move us again like that man digging in the field? Does it really move us like that merchant finding the greatest pearl he's ever seen where we're willing to give everything else up? So this morning, as I'm talking to you about the keys to understanding the kingdom of heaven in your life, you and I both together have to acknowledge out loud as Jesus' friends and his disciples, those that want to be Christ followers. I'm not talking about the masses that just come and to observe Jesus and are fascinated with what he's doing, but those that want to sit with him and be with him and sup with him and understand his heartbeat, that it starts with us acknowledging that that treasure and the pursuit and commitment to it is the greatest treasure that we'll ever pursue. There's nothing comparable to it. We can dig in the field, which is the world, our whole life, and just be digging and come up empty and come up unsatisfied. But when we grab hold of that treasure and open a lid, there's nothing in comparison to it. So I'm challenged by this young man in this book. And I go back to this book because I need to be challenged. I want to understand what really was going on in his heart. And is it still going on in my heart today? And if it isn't, where do I start? I start by, number one, acknowledging that kingdom of God requires your highest commitment. The second one is the B of number two is B, be ready. Be ready to give up any personal goal that may hinder you entering into it. I speak with a lot of people during the week. Uh, Yesterday I was speaking to a man in Japan, and I have the opportunity to speak to all kinds of people all around the world. And just the fact that I am standing in front of you today sharing the Word of God as a miracle. And I hope you understand that. I still don't know what Angela saw in me in my late 20s. She, was, she must have been a visionary or an evangelist or a little bit of both. And I have a long way to go, and I'm still changing and growing. But I didn't understand any of that. But I do know this, that I was ready to give up anything, any pursuit, any dream, any ambition, anything that would stop me from holding on to that treasure. So this morning, I want to give you this be ready in two ways. The first way I need you to be ready is really to choose as Jesus' followers, sitting with him intimately, to ask yourself, is there something in your life that you're pursuing that's hindering you holding on to that treasure? A passion, an ambition, a lifestyle, whatever it might be in your life, are you ready to let go of that thing to pursue that treasure that you have your hands around? And the second thing that I need you to be ready to let go of this morning is those things that are hindering that dream even becoming a reality. That can be anger. It can be lust. It can be ought with a brother or sister. It can be unforgiveness. It can be some way that you're not being integrous in your business or your life. But you and I being challenged by Jesus this morning, we need to be ready to let go of those things. There's been unforgiveness in the church for far too long. There's been strife and division amongst God's people for far too long. And you and I need to really look in our hearts and say, am I ready to let go of those things? I'm in a pursuit right now of figuring out 
what the love of Jesus is really supposed to feel like in the local church. I want to be in a church like the first century church. I want to be like that church that sat in the upper room and waited on the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And I believe theologically, I stand on this viewpoint. Then those days of them sitting together, they weren't playing fish, go fish and just hanging out playing dominoes, waiting for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to show back up. They were getting right with each other. They were forgiving each other. They were digging deep inside their soul and saying, okay, what is still hindering me? Why aren't we moving forward? Why isn't the Holy Spirit come? And the scriptures teach us in unity, when the church was in unity, the Holy Spirit came like it never did before. And today my challenge to you is I want to be a part of that church. I want to be a part of the church that next week we couldn't meet here because thousands were being added. Not for size, not for stature, but because souls were coming into the kingdom. I want to be part of a church that's so connected and unified in the love of Christ that the world can't wait to run to her. I want to be a part of a church that two churchgoers don't sit and meet each other during the week and say, yeah, I might get around to come to church. I might get around to follow Jesus when I have time, when I have more energy. I want to be a part of a church that's ready to let go of those things that are hindering us from being who God's called us to be. So this morning, the second thing that I want you to do and to be ready for is to let go of those things, your dreams and ambitions, but also those things inside you that might be hindering God using you at the level that I know he wants to. And the third way, the third key that I want to give you is to celebrate childlikeness in your faith and in your trust and your blamelessness. In Matthew chapter 18, we see the disciples, and here these guys are, like I said, meeting intimately with Jesus, talking with Jesus, walking with Jesus. And in Matthew 18, just a couple chapters away, they still don't get it. They actually ask him, God, who is the greatest among you? Who's going to sit with you? And Jesus simply answered this way, and I think that we can take this to heart as well. I don't know about you, but sometimes being in Jesus for a little while, you think you start having to figure it out. You think you know how you're supposed to behave. You think you know how you're supposed to pray. You think you know how you're supposed to eat and what TV shows you're supposed to watch and what clothes you're supposed to wear. And you certainly have it figured out about how everyone else is supposed to be too, right? (laughs) I want to remind us today, this key that we have to have is remembering to celebrate childlikeness. So this is Jesus' answer to his real close friends that were trying to figure out how to be closest to him. He said this, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The key that I want to hand in your hand, put in your hand today is the key of understanding how important it is to be in your childlike faith. The wonder, the awe of being with the Lord, seeing him as creator and God and your provider and your healer and your deliverer, your salvation, your strong tower, your son, your shield. The one that would never leave you, the one that would never forsake you, the one that only has good things to think about you, the one that came down from earth, gave up all his godliness, and hung on the cross and died for you and for me. That awe and that wonder of childlikeness. I have the privilege of having a 32-year-old and a 22-year-old and an almost 12-year-old. So in my life, I've been in kids a long time. And I'm going to be in grandkids for a long time as well. I have a a three-year-old grandson right now. 
I love laughter. I love hear, hearing killed children's tales. I love the gifts that children give me for my, my birthdays and holidays. I love the stories they tell, the, the, the complete wonderment of who they are. I love other kids, other people's kids too, and that same thing. I want to share a story with you today, and you have to kind of keep it a little bit secret because it involves Paris. <laughs> she's only 11, so she still thinks this is true. So I'm, I'm sharing something with you, but I think it'll drive the point home. Several years ago, we were in Oregon on a trip, and if you've ever been to Oregon, the beaches are amazing, especially before 10 a.m. when the, the mist is still on the water and the mist is still on the sand. And right past the mist, you can almost imagine a pirate ship sitting out there because you've either seen Goonies or your parents have, and they've talked about it. <laughs> and I was with Paris and Viviana, and I told them a specific part on the beach to dig in. And wouldn't you know it, right where they dug, they found two gold doubloons. Yeah, it's really amazing. That's what they said too. And for the rest of that week, they were in awe that I knew the exact place where a pirate left these gold doubloons. And their conversations at night were all about pirate treasure. And about two years ago, we were watching TV and there was a local pawn shop offering to buy gold. And Paris said to me, Dad, I wonder how much that gold doubloon weighs. And I wonder if I can cash it in. I asked her to borrow this today because I thought you would really get a kick out of the fact that this, out of all the things she's broken and lost, this is still one of her prized possessions. She's still convinced in that moment and that time. And what I want to share to you about that story is I need you to celebrate childlikeness again. I'm a very serious guy sometimes. Sometimes I, I've been told that uh, when I get intense, it looks like I'm mad, but I'm, I just can get very serious. I'm exploring the whole idea of celebrating childlikeness again. <laughs> How can I laugh more? How can I see God's wonder more? How can I let go a little bit and stop thinking that I be stressing and worrying and being fearful and all those things are going to make him move any more than he wants to already? Can I just be a child in my faith? Not childish. I'm not talking about falling on the ground and crying because I'm not getting my way. I'm not talking about whining and complaining and irritating things that childlike childishness is. I'm talking about childish, childishness, childlikeness, being a child in all that you do in your faith, being a child in all that you do in your trust, and being a child in your blamelessness. When your mind hasn't been seared and, cynic, and you haven't become a cynic, you haven't become cynical in those things of the faith and the church and in each other. There's a blamelessness about you. You let God come in and heal you so you're not that church cynic. And I've been that church cynic. I've been hurt. I've been misused for years. But I have to let go of those things. In my pursuit of the kingdom of God in the local church, I got to let go of those things. I got to let go of those things that cause me not to be a child in the way I behave and act around people. I want to be fresh in my thinking. I want to be fresh in my preaching. I want to be fresh in my prayer life. And I want to be fresh in my belief towards what God wants to do in us and with us. So this morning, I want to remind you of those three keys. Those three keys, as easy as ABC, I want you to acknowledge that the kingdom of God requires your highest commitment and pursuit. There's no greater pursuit And I'm not talking about full-time ministry. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pursuing the kingdom of God in your life. 
those things that Jesus did on earth and is still doing, those things that the disciples hadn't quite yet experienced, we're experiencing now. That freedom and that rest. I want to share with you the fourth parable that Jesus said in the end of chapter 13, and I think it'll sum this message up really well. After those uh, two parables that I just shared, here's a third parable that I won't get into. It's parallel to what Pastor Brad shared, except for it's in the viewpoint of what a Christian should do. It's around the dragnet. It's similar to the wheat and tare message, except for it's in direct proportion to us as Christ followers. But the fourth parable, the, the eighth parable, which is the fourth of the second half, if that makes sense to you, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus said to them, verse 51, Have you understood all these things? And then they said to him, Yes, Lord. Verse 52, Jesus says it just like this. Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. I want to give you this today, that we know more today in our spirit and in our life and the way that we're walking with Jesus than greatest scribe or Pharisee ever did in Jesus' time. In fact, up to the day of John the Baptist, the Bible teaches us there was no one greater than him. But after Jesus did what he did, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist ever is. This progressive revelation that you and I operate in, this treasure that we hold as followers of Jesus, sitting intimately with him, not the crowd, we have a great responsibility to be committed and to be pursuing that treasure above all else. It wasn't supposed something that we were supposed to find and then just walk away and never go back to. Yeah. This treasure was a gift to, our, to us with what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The second thing I want to remind you of is to be ready to give up any personal goal that may hinder you entering into it, into the kingdom of God, and also be ready to let go of those things that are causing you to be twisted up and bent up. And the last thing that I want to remind you of is to celebrate your childlikeness. Celebrate it. It's okay to be silly. It's okay to let laughter come in. It's okay to cry a little bit. I know some people here don't want to hear that, but it's okay to cry a little bit with joy and with release, whatever it needs to happen. It's okay to, to play a little bit and to spend time with the Lord. It's okay just to sit with Him, to not have to have all the answers and not give all your requests to Him, but just to be with your Father. And as you ponder these keys and as you go away and you think about these ABCs, I'm reminded just to share one last thing with you. And that's this. The responsibility that we have as Christians to the world is immense. We're not supposed to be like the world. The love that we have for each other isn't supposed to be able to be repeated in the local YMCA. The passion and the drive that we have to be in community shouldn't be the same as some other organization that people can be involved in. We have a responsibility as God's chosen people to be so illuminated with his power and his love that people run to us, that people want to be around us. So these keys, as you let them come into your life and unlock maybe something in you that you've never heard or something that you've forgotten, I'm praying this morning that, that these go with you that you take these words just like I've been pondering them for several weeks now, just wondering and pondering on what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples. I'm convinced he was saying what I shared with you today. And as we grab these keys and we use these keys, I'm praying that God just, just does something in our midst that's just so powerful. Would you all stand with me for a minute? And before I have Pastor Brent come share 
I just want to pray over us today. Prayer teams, if you're here, I want to invite you to come forward. Church, and however you feel comfortable, you can either look at me or close your eyes. I'm, I'm fine with either. But in this moment, I don't, I don't want you to walk out of here without me asking you to take a next step. We've talked about such powerful things today, and worship was so amazing. Facing fear, confronting those things that, that stop us. First service was very similar. There's something very specific that happened in that service too. But today, before you go, I want to challenge you. If you're in that place of not knowing the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ, if you don't know him, if he's never been in your life, I want you to come forward when it's time and have someone pray for you. If there's something in your life that's hindering you or stopping you, and you're here today and you want to be ready to be free of that, when it's time, I want you to come forward and have prayer for that. And if you're just wanting God to remind you to celebrate childlikeness, come forward at that time too and get prayer. Ultimately, I don't want you to leave here today the same that you came in. And I've been deeply challenged by this simple, practical truth of these two parables. And today I'm praying that before you go, you let God stir something up deep inside your heart. You let God do something in you that you've not allowed him to for quite a while or never before. And this morning, this afternoon, I know that God's ready to do that. So let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this church service. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your house, God. Thank you for your house that you're building. Lord, you're bringing people from all over the place to this house. God, we thank you for that. We're honored by that. We're humbled by that. And we thank you that you are the one doing the building and you are the one doing the changing. You are the one doing the growing. You are the one that, have, that, are, that is awakening people up to your truths. And we celebrate that. So this morning, I speak life over this congregation. I speak life over Riverbend. I speak life over to the individuals that call this place home and those that are just discovering who we are. I pray that your name would continue to be lifted above all else. Lord, that you would draw men unto yourself. Lord, and we are believing you for an outpouring in this church and a a deepness in this church that we've never felt before. Holy Spirit of God, you are welcome here. You are welcome in our lives. You are welcome in our homes. You are welcome in our places of business. We don't want to be average. We don't want to be an average church. We want to be a church moved by your spirit. So this morning, we choose to surrender to that. And I pray, God, that those that are making a decision today, Lord, that they would find you in a radical way, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there wouldn't be any muttering and there wouldn't be any stirring to keep them away from you, God, but it would be right to you and they would see you and feel you and understand you. And God, I just give you glory for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name. Pastor Brent. Man, would you look up a minute? I just want to speak a simple blessing over you today. Scripture says that God will do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or even imagine. I bless you this week with a deep awareness of God's abiding presence. That when you get up in the morning, you recognize how close He is, how near He is. That when you put your head down at night, you recognize the nearness of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I bless you with, a, with an expanded expectation that this week that God's going to do something supernatural in and through your life. I, scripture says that God is, the, is both the author and perfecter of our faith. May God expand your faith. May He perfect it this week to believe for more, to expect more to see God do more in and through your life. I bless you with a boldness just to step out and trust God, maybe in areas you've never trusted before. 
just want you to know you are God's children. You have the favor of God on your life. God bless you.